There are riots on the streets of France. There is a mutiny in the army in Russia. And who knows what's going on in America right now. There does seem to be a lot of social fragmentation going around. Is society going to collapse? Or should we all calm down a bit and think a little bit more imaginatively with some world history? I'm Jeff Rich and this is the Burning Archive podcast where we try to see the world more clearly with a little bit of high quality world history. And uh, I'm going to do something slightly different on the podcast today. As you might know, I've just released my latest book of 13 ways of looking at a bureaucrat writing on governing and I'm putting a little bit of effort into promoting the work. You can buy that book on, you know, online retailers like Amazon, Kobo, Barnes & Noble, Booktopia, and so on and so forth, both as an e-book and as a print book. But because I'm putting that extra effort into promoting my, uh, you know, long intellectual labours of the last 33 years, I hope you don't mind, I haven't had quite as much time as possible as normal I haven't had quite as much time as normal to prepare a a researched podcast for you so what I thought I'd do is do a bit of a remastering of a couple of my early episodes of the podcast back in the first 12 episodes when I was really uh, just trying to find my voice as a podcaster and yet um, I articulated there four big themes of the current history of the world, I guess. Uh, Imperial rivalry, cultural decay, political disorder and social fragmentation. I actually did three rather long podcasts on this theme of social fragmentation and I'm going to um, offer you some sort of slightly repackaged and slightly pruned versions of those over the next couple of weeks. And as I've been listening to them again, I've been surprised at really how relevant they still are to our current debate. There are protests in France. There's enormous social tensions in France. There's are other social tensions spilling off all over the place in our societies and people are speculating about social breakdown. Emmanuel Todd, uh, the French demographer and sociologist, has spoken about the crisis of the West and the uh, historian slash scientist, I think he calls himself a cleometrician, Peter Turchin has just published a book called, as in this year, has published a book called End Times, which explores the dynamics of social and political collapse. He sees those dynamics in elite competition. And I actually talk about all these issues in these podcasts. And what's more, in the first episode of the podcast where I sort of talked about the 
back and forward tug of war between social progress and social fragmentation, I actually also discussed quite a few of the uh, social policy issues that I uh, was engaged on in my career as a bureaucrat, aging, fertility, education. So although, of course, I wouldn't reveal, I did not reveal any state secrets in these podcasts, they are informed by that experience and you'll probably get uh, even deeper insight into some of these issues if you do uh, buy my latest book, 13 Ways of Looking at a Bureaucrat from a Good Online Retailer. So uh, I hope you like that. I'm going to play the show and I'll come back just at the end with a little bit of a wrap up. And so what I'm going to do is sort of package up the first episode, episode 11, so about social progress and social fragmentation, uh, into two parts uh, this week and next week. Uh, and then we'll look at the other two issues of elite competition and uh, the sense of feeling overwhelmed by social change in another two episodes of the podcast. Okay, so let's listen to my uh, less experienced podcaster voice uh, with a few bloopers taken out uh, with um, my higher quality uh, audio editing software. And I hope you enjoy it and uh, I'll be talking to you in my contemporary self in about 40 minutes. Welcome to the Burning Archive. In this episode of the Burning Archive, we turn to the fourth large theme of the history of our times, that is, social fragmentation. Life is better in so many dramatic ways. We enjoy better societies, but worry that we have lost a sense of community. Could it be that social progress is slowing and its old rival social fragmentation is going to overtake it in the marathon of history that is the question for today's burning archive I am Jeff Rich. I am a writer, historian, podcaster, poet, and very minor government official. And this is the Burning Archive podcast, episode 11, where the past is never dead. The past is not even past. And where by thinking about the past, we try to live better in the present. So I'm going to just dive straight into our topic of today, which is social fragmentation. And this is the fourth of the themes I've been pursuing in this podcast that are the big trends, changes underway in the history of the times, as I see it. And those four themes, just to recap, are imperial rivalry and imperial decline, uh, especially with America, 
political decay, cultural decay, and the prospect of cultural regeneration, and finally, social fragmentation. And this is one where it's, I'm still thinking through what the best name for this theme is, but for now, I've stuck with social fragmentation. So what does that mean? We live in interesting times. Life is better in so many dramatic ways. We are richer, we live longer, we're healthier, we have longer years of healthier life, we know more, we act less violently, we enjoy better societies. But we worry that there's something missing, that we've lost maybe a sense of community, lost a sense of togetherness, that the society as a whole doesn't work so well, that it's fragmented, that we live in social media echo chambers, not tight-knit communal villages. We enjoy the splendours of travel and film and TV images from every place on earth, but barely know our own neighbourhood. We choose our identities, but we edit out our past. I mean, there's no real doubt, I think, when you look at all the statistics, that life is better. It's been demonstrated by people like Steven Pinker and Hans Rosling and many others that you'd much rather live as an ordinary person today than at any other time in history. But there is still this this sort of shadow to all of that. The shadow of social progress is alienation or social fragmentation. All the gains of affluence, freedom, individual fulfilment seem to come with a loss of community connection and continuity of place, culture, tradition, being part of something bigger. And this is an old, old theme, I guess, in social theory, sociology, and history. Throughout the late 19th century and into the 20th century, there was this continuing theme of the transition from Gemeinschaft to Gesellschaft in uh, the German sociology term. So broadly from community to society. Uh, a sense of a, a bonded, connected community to a a larger, more vibrant, bigger, but more disconnected life in the city. To articulate this theme doesn't mean that social progress is bad. No one wants to go back to what Karl Marx, I think, called the idiocy of rural life. Um, no one wants to have to wash their clothes by hand in a in a huge big uh, metal vat. No one wants to have to work six days a week, ten hours a day in largely manual jobs with very little prospects before them. But it does mean that in celebrating all the social progress, we should also have a look at what are the bad things that are happening too. What what are some of these forces of fragmentation? And just as things, social progress doesn't always need to work to the same rhythm, it doesn't mean that some of these 
forces of fragmentation or alienation or social divergence, they don't necessarily slow down when growth and progress start to stagnate. And in a sense, that is what I think has been occurring, especially over the last few decades, accelerating perhaps especially in the decade between 2000 and 2010, marked at the start by the 9-11 bombings of New York, where there was a sudden sense of, you know, a dark shadow hanging over, you know, Western liberal societies. Ending in that decade, the global financial crisis and some of the some of the um, loss of hope or that people could do things to to you know address the climate change, a sort of sense of disappointment around not enough happening around climate change and the bailout of the banks and the betrayal, I guess, of many ordinary people through, across the, the world through that financial crisis. Over 40, 30 years, some rough period of time, the question is whether the benefits of social progress in liberal democratic societies are still happening but they're slowing and that the bad stuff is catching up and becoming more prominent. The bad stuff that goes along with some of that social progress. Once we've got the internet, that's great, but what we do we do for the the bad stuff related to the internet, the loss of privacy, the loss of immediacy of life, or the the shadowy world of the dark web. And I think especially in the United States we see this dynamic. And the United States is a bit of a like a index case of of our societies. It's it's like the drama that we all sort of look to, even though many of the aspects of our own societies in like Australia are quite different, but it sort of becomes the Broadway show with which we interpret our own society. And I guess I also see this this sort of revenge of the shadow, so to speak, or the, this, this catching up of the shadow over the last couple of decades as being amplified by some of the other trends that I've been talking about in the podcast. Political decay, when political institutions can't deal well with social conflicts, the social conflicts get worse. Imperial decay, when a society feels that it is losing, doesn't win anymore, uh, that it's no longer number one, that it's not the greatest nation on earth, it starts to turn onto its sort of domestic enemies. It, it sort of fights within. And cultural decay, as there's less of a cohesive shared culture, it, there's less of that common language that can heal the social conflicts, heal and sort of soothe the social conflicts in the society. So that's why I guess this is the final final theme and they are all connected and in a way I guess I see this sort of unwinding of social fragmentation occurring in its most extreme way in America, in the United States and that as I observe it from afar 
it appears to be becoming a more polarised, so social fragmentation increasing, defeated imperial power in decline, deluded cultural cultural beliefs fading and being replaced with less convincing and powerful, meaningful ideas and a failed state. Its political institutions simply don't work anymore. I've explained how social fragmentation or divergence, uh, let's call it social fragmentation, fits into the four themes of my little history of our times that I've been developing in these podcasts over the last few weeks. Now, let's talk a little bit about what social fragmentation means. In short, I guess it's the opposite of social cohesion. Um, It's losing that sense of togetherness being part of one meaningful whole of being in it together uh, with one's neighbours and other members of society. It maybe means also this sort of splitting off into little micro-groups, little mini-tribes of people like us. Now, of course, all societies are divided and there are many ways of, or, or let's say differentiated, like groups within the societies distinguish themselves more or less acutely from from other groups within the society, as well as the outsiders. Australian versus foreigner is the outsider, and within the society it's, I don't know, Collingwood supporter versus St Kilda supporter. So all societies are divided, but there are many ways of analysing these differences. Class, status, religion, gender, race sexual preference, all all the many, many subcultures, many, many different generations. That's another one uh, that seems to also, you know, young people versus boomers. Okay, boomer, don't worry about social fragmentation, boomer. Uh, So many different ways in which um, societies are divided. But societies also foster cohesive identities too. So nationality is clearly one. We're all in this together. Regional identities, um, Victoria versus New South Wales, Basque versus Catalan. Nationality, faith, religion, race, uh, all these are also ways in which people develop cohesive identities and have them coexist with the ways in which they differentiate from others. There can be, a, I think, quite strong dynamic about group cohesion being fostered by or strengthened by hostility to others, or at least finding a way, that being a uh, in-group, out-group, the more tight you feel with your peers, the more separate you feel from uh, whoever your others are. Othering is almost uh, an essential process, I guess, in social relationships. As one author says, peace is a social problem. You know, if there is 
if there's not an external enemy, some of that uh, hostility can be directed within. And maybe that's also why you have this growing problem, perhaps, of social differentiation, social fragmentation within across this last century you know, let's say century or uh, so, of remarkable social progress, uh, less external wars, and yet maybe more internal social fragmentation. Over history, I guess there's a tug of war between social cohesion and social fragmentation, where the spread or the strength of a society's shared cultures and institutions can account for which which of the two parties at either end of the tug-of-war rope wins. Will it be social cohesion? It might be if there's a strong, bonded, meaningful culture. Or will it be social fragmentation? And a more fragmented society will tend to have fewer connections between different groups or between individuals and mid-level social institutions. So they're the big ways in which you feel belonging and connected to society, you know, nation, religion, uh, generation, gender, all that sort of thing. But then there's also this middle layer of social institutions that have long been of interest to theorists of society, sociologists, particularly the French sociologist well, I mean, classically, let's say, the French sociologist Emile Durkheim dealt with uh, the problem of alienation, the, the sense of losing this sense of a meaningful community to belong to by uh, hoping that people will connect to some of these middle-level associations, their local church, their uh, youth club, their sporting club, it is the thing that helps, gives them a sense of belonging and togetherness, with, which isn't possible with like a vast big city. So again, a more fragmented society has more conflict between these senses, these different way, different places for people to belong to. And there are maybe narrower ways of identifying who you belong with and fewer experiences of togetherness with people who aren't like you. People don't meet in the, the, the church or don't meet in the, um, the marketplace. They, you know, shop online and only go out with people like them or their closest sort of uh, people that they identify with. And a peculiar feature, perhaps, of today's societies is just the huge range of criteria on which people can differentiate themselves. Our, our wealth, our education, our, our relatively large amount of leisure time, all that sort of thing, enables us to have an extraordinary plurality of identities. You could almost say, perhaps, that social fragmentation or uh, with a less negative connotation, social differentiation is the engine of identity politics. More and more ways in which to devise and identify a claim on a claim for a specific identity within the political world. And what 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 fuels this process of differentiation and the tug of war between cohesion and fragmentation isn't 
the sort of surface level sort of things within the society. It's not. It's the deep, more fundamental social processes, the basic things that start to define the way of life one has. It's not the flim-flam of politics. It's not the rise and fall of imperial armies. It's not even the flickering screens or waning traditions of the culture. But it's the deep underlying processes, the deep layers of social formation and belonging, like family, like age and generation, like education, like religion, or its sort of modern reincarnation, like communities of place. And these change on a long time frame. And that brings us to a remarkable book by a French demographer, Emmanuel Todd. He sets out to provide an account of the forces that explain this surprising malaise of our current time, this sense that things are better and yet something's not quite right. He even, in this book, talks about the prospective decline of the United States and the Anglosphere, and indeed perhaps the most frequently asked if trivial question in contemporary social studies, why did Donald Trump win the election in 2016? So the book is called Lineages of Modernity, and its subtitle is rather grand if also somewhat humorous, A History of Humanity from the Stone Age to Homo Americanus, uh, published in 2017 in France and its English translation published in 2019. And it talks about the crisis of advanced societies and especially of the Anglo-American sphere and provides an account of how demographic changes, these deep social layers, generate this sense of crisis in advanced societies. So let's just take it for now that we that's a reasonable way of talking about things. Uh, and I'm just going to use this this book to provide a bit of uh, extra evidence and flavor for my ideas around social fragmentation. So Emmanuel Todd is actually a demographer and although I guess he speaks broadly, I guess in a sociological, almost an anthropological tradition, uh, and his big specialty is, as you might expect perhaps with demography, the study of populations and fundamental structures, is family systems. So nuclear family versus a different different forms of family, kinship structures, that sort of thing. His book picks up many of the themes of the podcast. So I'm only going to pick out a couple of parts of it because much of it is an account uh, of, you know, it's a very, it's quite a long and global sweep of history uh, and an account of quite significant demographic and anthropological change and does uh, present quite an interesting and fascinating argument even if he does comment on I guess contemporary events uh, from time to time um, all sorts of complicated things across different cultures and all the rest of it and it's a maddening book in some ways maybe as a result of it being a translation of the French 
because you'll find a rather clear and vivid sentence is immediately followed by obscure abstractions. So hunting it for a little bon mot can be a little bit difficult. But let me give you at least a feel of uh, some of the texture of this uh, you know, argument about the history of humanity from the Stone Age to Homo Americanus. So when Todd looks at, Emmanuel Todd looks at today's society, he brings out how very unusual it is in historical or anthropological terms. So he says, our advanced societies have no equivalent in previous history. Never have human groups of such size been so rich, so old, so educated, and so devoid of collective beliefs. And these transformations, he he says, go to basic social processes. He uses the term primordial social processes, things much sort of deeper and more fundamental than hopping on the internet or going out to dinner, a sort of thing, what family relationships or what family structures are like, what the life cycle is like from, you know, childhood to adulthood to old age, what education is like and education's role in transmitting culture and and connections between generations and how people generate a sense of belonging to a group. And collectively, these processes generate what he describes as that sort of anthropological um, way of life. And he says that just like sedentarization, i.e. moving from being nomadic societies to settled societies and agriculture, the transformation underway is causing an upheaval in the way of life of the human species. So he's sort of putting this broad, big sort of social transformation that's sort of going on underneath the surface. There with the birth of agriculture or or I guess the Industrial Revolution or something like that, like one of these well-recognised fundamental changes in, in the history of humanity. He talks how the Anglosphere is at the heart of the human at the heart of modern history. Uh, in in some senses, his book is partly part of the debate on globalization versus populism. Like, what is really the meaning of globalization? Is it really something that's happening? Are, are cultures converging around the world, or is up are, are cultures diverging? Uh, what makes sense of the I guess the revolt against globalization that seems to be occurring with populist movements like uh, Trump and Brexit and and a number of others around the world. It's part of this argument about differentiation and convergence, but it's also a recognition that the Anglo-American world, the Anglosphere, has been dominant, as, as we discussed in some of the previous podcasts, over the last 300 years, the English and then the American empires. And... He he challenges, I guess, the idea that globalization is leading to a certain convergence, certain as in uh, absolutely sure convergence of the contemporary world to fit the cultural forms of the Anglosphere, uh, cultural imperial forms of the Anglosphere. He, he notes that economic globalization 
certainly brings benefits and products and all that sort of thing to everyone around the world, but that it actually accentuates differences because it sort of doesn't quite take in these underlying social processes that work to a deeper time frame. So he says societies forced to compete, threatened with disintegration, fall back on their original strengths and original values. Pushed too far, free trade fuels universal xenophobia. He says democracy as we know it in the 20th century is unlikely to return. That you know, my hypothesis about political decay is right and that, um, and that um, we're sort of entering into some new post-democratic society that won't be the same oligarchies of previous times but is something that also won't be the democracy that was experienced for most, most of the 20th century. And one of his key points is that these social processes, family, education, generation, belonging, are not necessarily more important or dominant or or causative in relationship to economics and culture and all that sort of stuff, but they do operate on a different time scale with different layers. There are different layers, so to speak, of social change. He says the economy changes over 50 years, that education is like on a 500-year cycle is what he describes which is essentially the he's essentially describing the time it took from say the the birth of printing and the, to to move to a time of mass literacy across most of the world uh, of a near universal literacy across most of the world family he says is is a family systems that is uh, and we'll come to some of those a bit later work on a 5,000-year time frame and religion on a 1,000-year time frame. And then Todd identifies a number of quite sort of specific and practical and, you know, well-evidenced statistical major social changes that are a sign of this big, big transformation that he's talking about, this transformation that is creating an upheaval in how people understand their social relationships so let me see there are one two three four five six seven of these so number one is massive enrichment we're an incredibly much more wealthier society even then even if you look back to sort of the iconic world of 1950s america we are just so much richer than that that era and then of course you know you think about the billion people who've who've moved out of poverty in China over the last 20 or 30 years, maybe 40 years now. There's the collapse in the birth rate, as in the number of children born per woman or or family over uh, the period from 1960 to 1980. There's increased longevity. The average life expectancy has increased enormously uh, over this period of time. There's been a dramatic increase, not so much in mass literacy or secondary education, but a very dramatic increase in mass higher education. Many, 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 many more people now, really a majority in of young people in most most you know Western societies get a university degree. 
And then within that too, there's been a switch in gender roles so that women are actually overtaking men in educational attainment in most measures, which is a, I mean, if you compare it to previous societies, a fundamental and dramatic change. Uh, not that women didn't have the capacity, but they were not denied the resources and now there's, or denied the access, I guess. And then it's a, well, it's a, a key factor, I guess, of, of contemporary societies. And then the last two, he talks about the terminal erasure, erasure of religion, massive decline in religious belief in many societies, tempered perhaps by resurgence of some faiths like Islam and uh, and you know maybe Orthodox Christianity in the former Soviet uh, states, but certainly in places like Australia and like America, there is a big, big, big decline of, of both religious belief or people professing to have a religious belief and religious practice going to church. And then finally, he talks about the collapse of marriage inherited from religious times. So I mean, marriage. I mean, I guess the whole gay marriage debate in pretty much all societies, all, you know, liberal democratic societies in the last uh, 20 years, I guess, it has really been indicative of this because it's the transition from a concept of marriage that's rooted in a religious sacrament to a concept of marriage as a, a um, I guess, a legal bond um, between uh, people through an elective choice that is devo- devoid of any any religious thing. I'm not saying that's good or bad or whatever. It's just it's just a social fact. And then what he says is, what happens? He asks, what happens to the existential objectives of human beings when they become statistically richer, older, more educated, more feminine, and less numerous? Of less numerous too, like in in some of Europe, a, a lot of societies are actually going into a stage of population decline rather than population growth. I mean, in a way, we're sort of being insulated a little bit from that in Australia, but it's largely been because of migration. But if if you were to take migration out of the equation, the fertility rate is lower than the replacement rate. So there are not enough children being born to replace the number of people who are dying. So if it weren't for migration in Australia, the actual total population would be in decline. And that's what's happening in Europe and in other parts of the world which have less migration. He sees this combination of factors creating a feeling of powerlessness and populist revolt in advanced societies. He says the individualistic atomization at the economic level and the incapacity of collective action at the political level will spring from the development of higher education, the disappearance of religion and the transformation of family structures. So I'm now going to explore three of these changes with a few historical examples and a bit of statistics just to bring out uh, the and dramatise the extent and nature of these changes and how they are reverberating in our current time of trouble. And those three things are age and longevity, life expectancy, family structures and education. And funnily enough, 
I've actually had uh, in my career as a very minor government official uh, direct connections with each of these three major trends. I've done work on population ageing. I've done work on issues related to family formation, including in relationship, for example, to IVF and reproductive treatment. And I've also done work on on the explosion of higher education and had had direct connections with some of the people who set that in train in the in the nineteen eighties in Australia. And that's where we're going to leave my remastered episode on social progress and social fragmentation for this episode. I hope you enjoyed that. I certainly had my memory prompted of Emmanuel Todd's fascinating list of seven fundamental changes in primordial social processes. And that question of, well, what is human existence like when we're richer, older, better educated, more numerous and devoid of collective beliefs? It is a question, I guess, we all wrestle with with our own societies today. Now, over at my Substack, at my, if you're a paid subscriber to my Substack, you can actually read the my sort of revised thoughts on social fragmentation based on that episode of the podcast, a complete transcript of the podcast that I've revised in parts and included a couple of additional reflections and revisions into. So if you go to jeffrich, J-E-F-F-R-I-C-H dot substack dot com and become a paid subscriber, you will, as well as getting all my free weekly content and other content from the Substack, also get the uh, regular fortnightly or weekly essays I post there on the Substack, including the series on social fragmentation and the world crisis that I'm writing right now. Thanks so much for watching. I'll be back next week with the, the discussion of aging, education and family systems or fertility and I hope uh, to join you then. Do remember also you can buy my new book 13 Ways of Looking at a Bureaucrat at all good online stores. You can also buy my earlier books from the Burning Archive, Selected Essays in Fragments and Gathering Flowers of the Mind, Collected so do check out my work and if you do buy one leave us a positive review leave us a positive review on the podcast on itunes and share it in your social media networks and until then take care everyone make sure you stay sane and safe in this troubled world bye now